It's really good to be here, uh, be with so many uh, friends. Matter of fact, I, I noticed that Pastor Dale said that Pastor Evan is on vacation. Now, to me, vacation is slowing down and relaxing. But every time I see pictures, they are hiking. So he's going to come back wore out. So you might want to have a sofa up here so he can preach from a sofa or something. He is, he is just, uh, he's just hiking, hiking, hiking. I don't know how many miles he's hiked now, but he seems to enjoy it. Men, we are extremely important for the spiritual life of our families and our churches. We're extremely important for the spiritual life of our families and our churches. Matter of fact... You can find all kinds of statistics that will tell us that when children are brought to church with their father and mother, when they're brought to church as a family, the amount of time that they stay in church rises greatly. We also know that Christianity, the landscape of Christianity, is really suffering Reading by Leonard Sweet, he writes in a number of his books that if you look at the old order of Amish, about 95% of the generations stay in the church. If you look at other religions where there's involvement of the total family, about 95% stay in the church. But we're told that Christianity, some reports tell us that we're keeping less than 10% of our young people. But most reports would say we're somewhere between 30 to 50% of the generation are we keeping. The question would be asked, why? Of the other religions, whether they're cultish, Whatever they may be, they are involving the family unit together, doing things together. Matter of fact, if you would go back a little over 75 years to 100 years ago, families would be out on their front porch playing music together or talking together. Neighbors would come by and they'd say, stop for a while. Or down in Kentucky, they'd say, stop for a spell. I'm not quite sure what the word spell means, but I guess something similar to stop for a little bit. And so they would spend time together. And then in the 50s, maybe the 40s, but close to the 50s, we got what we have as television. And television, in the beginning, one person, maybe on a block, would be able to afford a television. And so, people would come together as families to a living room, and they would watch one of the three channels. They would watch television together. But then we got what we called, you know, each family started having television, and so they kind of were clustered in their own homes. But as we moved along... We not only had television, we had cable TV. And we started building houses. And in those houses, we built what we called 
family rooms. And so we moved from the living room as groups of meeting to the family room as one family. Then we had cable TV come up with a brilliant idea. They could put splitters in. And when they put the splitters in, you could have TVs in everyone's room. And so now the family unit is split. Splintered. They should have called them splinters. And we have everybody watching television by themselves. So we have watched the family, what we used to have as the togetherness, this bonded relationships, be splintered. But today I'd like to speak to you from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, and I'm just going to read a very few verses. You notice it starts out, this is about Abram. Of course, his name was changed to Abraham, and so we'll simply use the word Abram here, but as we preach, we'll call him Abraham. But it says, And now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, And to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. Verse 3. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And you and your families of the earth shall be blessed. And verse 4. So Abraham, or Abram, departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life that you show us and the principles that we can develop and live by. We ask that you would speak to us as we think about Abraham and how he was used of you and how you gave him a sevenfold blessing that we believe that is reported and included in the blessing that you give to your church. May you minister to us. In your name we pray. Amen. So what are the qualities by which men should live? What are some of the qualities that are transposed from generation to generation? First of all, I'd say there are a number of negative qualities. But I'd like to just give you four positive qualities that we see in the life of Abraham. First of all, it says to us that the Lord had said. What it gives us there is that the Lord repeatedly said to Abraham, or he said it over and over and over. Matter of fact, if you would talk to our children and you would ask them some of the questions like, what did your mother say to you before you left the house? And they, our son would repeat, and if you listen to his sermons that are online, he would say, my wife would say, Aaron, you are a Duvall. Duvalls live by high standards. You represent our family. And when you represent our family, you will always do like a Duvall should do. Now, if you don't, and she'd go on with the rest of the speech. She didn't just say that once. She said it over each time our son would leave the house. And it seems as though God is saying to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to repeat this to you so that you will know 
that what I give to you are important instructions, that you might live by these instructions. So the first thing we notice about Abraham, and we must be like Abraham, we must live a life of patience. That he was to wait on the Lord. He was to live a life of patience. I don't know about you, but of all the virtues, the one I have a difficult time with is patience. Matter of fact, yesterday was not soon enough to get it accomplished. My son will say, Dad, just chill out. Just chill out. It's going to be okay. And I'll say, I don't want to chill out. I want it done now. But patient. It's waiting on the Lord. Matter of fact, God said to Abraham in verse 1, 2, and 3. He said, first of all, he said, there's going to be this blessing to you that's going to be a personal blessing. I'm going to bless you personally. Sometimes it's easy for us to believe in a corporal blessing. But it's difficult for us to believe and rely upon God for a personal blessing. A few years ago, I happened to be with a number of pastors of the larger churches of the Nazarene, the Wesleyans, and the Church of Christ Christian Union. And we were all in California. And about that time, Bush won, President Bush won, invaded Kuwait. And things were terrible. And then it came on the news, by the way, I should say, we were staying in a motel right next to LAX. And so all of a sudden it came out on the news and it says, if there's some way we are attacked here in America, it'll be New York City, it'll be Chicago, possibly Atlanta, but L.A. And one of the ministers with us became extremely filled with anxiety. He said, let's get out of here. Let's get on a plane. Let's fly back to Ohio. It said that they're not going to attack Ohio. And we're saying, well, we don't know if it's a good idea to get on a plane. He said, then let's just rent a car. Let's get in a car and let's get out of here. And so finally, we had all we could take and we called him by name. We'll call him Dan because that was his name. I said, Dan, I said, if you want to get on a plane, just get on a plane and go. If you want to drive a car, just get in a car and go. And Dan had this stern look on his face. Tears in his eyes. And here's what he said. Well, Joe, I believe God loves you and Peggy. And Mel, and Jim, Bruce, and whoever. He said, he'll protect you. But I don't know if God loves me enough to protect me. And I say to you, sometimes it's easy for us to believe in a corporal blessing. But God says, I will bless you personally. Secondly, he says, there's going to be this physical blessing. He said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, Abraham. I'm going to make your seed so great that the whole world will look to you as a nation. 
Thirdly, he says, there's going to be a universal blessing. He said, Abraham, you're blessed to be a blessing. You're blessed to bless others. So you see, there's something in this that God called Abraham. And if you look at Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, it says there that God called Abraham and he said to him, it says he called him, Abraham obeyed and went looking for a city that's foundation was not built by the hand, man's hands of man. But it was a city, a foundation that had an architect, a builder that was God. So we see that God wants to bless. Matter of fact, the, the command in verse 2 That I will, God says, I will, I will, is an imperative command, which means that he said it in such a way that he says, I will bless you if you obey me. I will bless you if you obey me. So we see that there's this obedience. Secondly, we see that there's this, like Abraham, we must keep our priorities in order. It says of Abraham that he listened to God or he obeyed God. If we're going to have our priorities in order, first has to be God. Second has to be our family. Third has to be our job and our ministries. I believe if we look at this, God, family, job. My son was with a very well-known pastor. And the pastor told him this story. He said, a few years ago, my wife and I were at a conference. And it was a marriage conference. And we were listening and we were involved. And the minister said, the leader of the conference said, first of all, you have to, God has to be first in your life. Secondly, it has to be your spouse, your family. Thirdly, your church. And so this pastor said he went back to his room. Him and his wife were there. And he looked at his wife and he said, Honey, how do you think that order is in my life? She said, I think you want me to say. He said, I knew I was in trouble when she said it that way. That God's number one. That I, your wife, is, not, is number two. And the church, your job, the ministry is number three. He said, I looked at her. I said, what do you say? She said, I have no doubt that God's number one. God is absolutely supreme in your life. The way you live and the the integrity you live your life with, God's number one. But she said, your ministry, your job... The church is number two. And then there's this and this and this and this. And I might be number six or seven. He said it broke my heart. I realized I was going to have to change something. If I was going to some way save my family. And so he said he started working. And he said I am so happy when my wife says now. Oh, God's number one. And I know that I'm number two. 
And he said to my son, when you're young and you're pushing and you're pushing hard to make your way through life, be careful. If you're not careful, you'll get to the place that your family will suffer. Fathers, your involvement in your family spiritually is supremely important. Your family is, has to be number two behind God. Thirdly, I would say that Abraham, we like Abraham, we must believe while we wait. It says he trusted God. There were a lot of delays in Abraham's life. It, it tells how that he was waiting for a blessing. And there's times we look at his life and it seems as though he derailed the blessing of God. But other times it tells us how that he waited and he was faithful for God. He was, he was active. He was working. He was living by faith. In 1941, December 7th, the United States was attacked at Pearl Harbor by Japan. It was a dismal day. People were frightened. They, they weren't sure. I, I've listened to old reports of that, and it just brought America, ripped its soul out. But in Seneca, South Carolina, there happened to be a, a large mill there, and there were some Christian men and those men started a prayer meeting to pray for our country. During that time, the President of the United States had installed what we call the draft. And many of you might remember the draft of, as Vietnam War came about. But involved in that, and men from Seneca, South Carolina, were being drafted in seemingly a larger number than all the other areas of the United States, or most of the other areas of the United States. These men started praying there in that plant, and they were seeking the face of God. They, they spent time in deep prayer. Matter of fact, there was a, a grove of trees on the edge of town, and they started making their way to that grove of trees and spending time there praying and seeking the face of God. Wasn't long, for some reason, some man decided to carry a, a large stone, and <clears throat> as he carried that stone, he took it out there to, to this grove and they put the stone there. And, and then there'd be another man carry a stone and they, they symbolized the, the burden that they were carrying for their children, for the soldiers that had been called, for the country and the young men and young women that were serving our country during that time. Every so often a man would pick up such a large stone symbolizing the burden he was carrying for maybe his own son or someone else's son. He could not carry the burden alone. So another man would come alongside him and together they would carry a stone and they'd place it in this pile of rocks, this pile of stone. As time continued, those men prayed. History tells us not one of the young men from Seneca, South Carolina, was lost during World War II. Those men prayed for the safety of their boys, prayed that God would do something. Well, as the war ended, those men continued to pray. And they would pray for revival until revival came to that area. There was an old tobacco shed or barn that they started having 
services in and revival and revival broke out. All the churches of the community came together and a great moving of God took place. It was a wonderful sight. And into the 50s, that revival happened until, matter of fact, they tell us that in that old barn, it became a museum of crutches and wheelchairs and all kinds of other apparatuses because people were healed and God moved. The war was over. Now they prayed for revival. But we moved into the 60s and into the 70s. 1960s, 1970s. They quit gathering to pray there. The pile of stones were still there. But it seems as though that the only thing that happened then was weeds grew up around those stones. Just a few years ago, and more recently, my friend Mark Wilson, who's a professor of theology at Southern Wesleyan University, took his students out, and they were able to see a few of those stones, and they started tearing away the weeds, and they're starting to pray there again. I would say to you and I, there's something about waiting on God, And knowing that when we pray that God moves, and I believe God is doing something again, that we can believe and trust him as Abraham was there waiting on God, trusting God, so shall we. The fourth and final thing I'd like for us to see is this. That is that Abraham, we like Abraham, must express our love to God through worship. It tells in verse 7 of chapter 12. It simply says, And Abraham built an altar. And then if you look down just a few verses, it says he built an altar and he pitched a tent. Now if you watch the life of Abraham with all the other things, you'll notice over and over a couple or three things he does. Builds altars, pitches tents, digs wells. What do those first two mean? We know that the altar is eternal. The altar was talking about an expression of an eternal worship of God. An eternal looking to God. The tent, the pitching of a tent is temporal. But here's what happens, I'm afraid. We in our lives get so consumed with here and now that we build tents and we pitch altars. There is a difference. If we understand and we see it, tents are temporal. They're like a hotel. My wife and I drove last night and we stayed in a hotel. We kind of put the suitcase up on a little stand and we don't plan on staying there very long. We plan on being there a night or two nights and we're going to move on to another place. And that's what this earth is about. We're moving on to another place. Then there's the altar where the old timers used to say, Nail it down. Pray through. I remember the little church that I went to. 
They had a wooden altar. It looked like it was a tube of six that somebody had kind of sanded down. There was a boat that they'd put through to hold it down to the cement below it. And then there was a little patch of a putty, and they kind of painted over it. If, I, if that altar was still there, I could go to the place, the piece of putty that I kneeled over and said, God, I'm going to serve you. You build altars. You pitch tents. You see, the altar means sacrifice. The altar means self-denial. The altar means surrender. I close with this and we're going to have a song. It's called Slow Fade. A few years ago, I was preaching in southern Ohio. And while I was preaching there, I, I was uh, talking about my father and what a wonderful father he was and how he was such an influence on my life and the life of my brothers and my sisters. And what a great father he was. And I, I just told a lot of positive things about him. I mean, five or six or seven and explained him and probably spent about 10, 15 minutes in it. And, and then I closed that day. And when I got done, I got ready to leave. And a gentleman said to me, could I walk to your car with you? And I said, yes. Just as we got out the door, he said something like this. You must have had a wonderful daddy. I said, I did. I was blessed. He said, what would you do if you had a dad like mine? Well, of course, I didn't know what his dad was like, so I waited for him to explain. He said, my dad treated me horrible my whole life. My dad would even tell me he hated me. He'd tell me I wouldn't amount to anything. And he went through all this negative catalog of things about his dad said to him he said matter of fact my dad died and I believe it's just a year before he said before he died I went to see him and he said son I never did like you I never will like you matter of fact I hate you and far as I'm concerned you can go to hell he said what would you do if you had a dad like that well, I'll tell you what, that's not quite a question you want to answer and just, you know, say something. And I just said, dear God, as I walked toward my car, please give me an answer. And I turned and looked at him. I said, sir, I'm so sorry you had a dad like you had. I can't imagine what you've gone through in your life. It has to be atrocious. It has to be horrible. But I want to tell you this. With God's help, you can change the future of your family. You have the possibility of your children saying, I had a great dad. Or your grandchildren saying, I had a wonderful grandfather. You see, something about this life, not all of us have been handed the same, use a very liberal term, deck of cards. But we still can play it out the same way. This song called Slow Burn is a song that helps us understand a little bit about what life is like. And after we had done this song, we're going to ask 
one of our musicians, our keyboardists, possibly come and play. And when he does that, I want you to think about it as fathers. I'll, I'll give you a challenge at that point. I'd like for us all to stand together. On this wonderful Father's Day 2019, it might be that God has spoke to your heart. You may be a Christian family, but you just want to say to God today, we're going to be sure that we continue the values, biblical values in our family's life. And I'm just going to invite you, if you want to come alone, if spouses want to come together, if your whole family's in here, come as a family. And just stand here, and I'll have a final prayer as we have this music. some of these are coming, it might be that you're not a person of faith. You've not thought about the importance that you have of rearing your family. You might want to just come and stand with some of these and just let God speak to your heart as well. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the strong work that you do in our hearts and lives. We thank you for the men of this church who are saying we're going to stand together. We're going to stand up for the values of God, for Christian values. For those that may have children that are not following you, May you continue to give them hope, continue to let them trust, continue to let them believe that there's a future for them. Bless this church, we pray. Be with Pastor Evan and his family as they're away at this time, getting some time together, time alone. Be refreshed and rejuvenated. Pray you'd be with Pastor Dale and his family as you are working through him. We thank you for the worship team this morning as they led us into your presence. The wonder, the glory of worshiping you. Lord, we're blessed to be a blessing. May your love flow through us into the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. There's supposed to be an announcement. Who's doing those announcements? There we go. Man, I about let you go without the announcements. I'd be fired. God bless you. No, I think they might actually enjoy that for a change. God bless you. God bless you.